Welcome back, everybody, to the Queer AF Comedy Podcast. My name is Sarah Cannon. My pronouns are she, her. My name is Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Tonight we have with us uh, for our first episode of this um, fantastic podcast we're launching, Sarah, the Queer AF Comedy Podcast, um, a national touring comic. How did we get so fortunate to have a national touring comic right out of the gate? It's Surprise! Uh, we love so, it. Yeah. We love it. Yep. And so this National Touring comic is actually going to be coming back home to Rochester in three weeks from tonight, but maybe two Woo-hoo! and a half by the time you hear from this. Our guest tonight is Tuesday Thomas. She's appeared on MTV, VH1, BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, not the other BBC you see in dating profiles online. Um, she's a former Rochester icon. And she is a legend and she has forged the trail for queer folk like me. And she was transgender before most of us even knew what that word meant. So welcome to the podcast, Tuesday Thomas. Hi, it's so great to be here. I'll just say my pronouns are she, her, and my amateur nouns are carrot and cake. Carrot and cake. Put together like carrot cake or? They're amateur nouns, so they don't know it'd be together, separate, however. Yeah. However, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh-huh. And right. and I when I started out, it was um, no, we were changes. We weren't we weren't trans. Nothing. We were. Look at that change. Is that what they said back then? <laughs> oh, yeah, pretty much. It was look at that sex change, and it just got done to oh, she. Uh, that's a change. Yeah, it wasn't trans. Oh wow. Um, transsexual was out, um, but we were lumped with. We were called transvestite too because it was all lumped together cross-dresser that was all under the same thing we were all that you know they didn't separate it didn't matter because we weren't human so it didn't matter what they called us that's that's the way it was back then well back then you know and you know i you know i take for granted i can go 15 minutes down the road from my house and i can get hormone replacement therapy i can get gender affirming treatment i can get you know mental health treatment and all this stuff to get letters and to do all the things we need to do for surgeries these days. But that path, literally W path, that wasn't there for you when you started this. There was no path. There was no, there was no, uh, uh, a trail in the woods. It was just woods. It was just wherever you looked, it was just overgrowth. You had to just figure out what way to go. I has to, I found out there was a doctor in Syracuse who I had to drive to at two o'clock in the afternoon, once a month on a Wednesday, uh, full drag, uh, you had to present uh, full drag. And um, so I'm on the throughway and cars are like slowing down, staring at me, you know, but that's the only way. And he charged $25, which is like a lot of money back then. You know, I had no other way than, you know, I ended up finding black market hormones, but that was the only way. you had to do the Harry Benjamin standards of care back then, which you had to go to a psychologist uh, uh, like once a month. You had to pay for it out of pocket and you had to find a way to pay for this out of pocket. You had to buy your hormones because every time you, in, you had to have some clothing of sorts because you had to present every time you went. And then you had to do that for two years. And at the same time, once every six months, go to a psychiatrist and then do a final test, which was a thousand word test plus a Rorschach test that cost like, you know, uh, $300 uh, after a two year period from the psychologist. Um, 
So that's a lot of money for, uh, to raise when nobody would hire you because what the hell are you? Wow. What the hell are you? You know, I can't have you work in your, you know, drags of society. Um, I went to um, the LGB Center in Rochester when I first started um, because there was no T. A lot of people don't realize T wasn't added to the Alphabet Mafia till the late 90s. Uh, so it was LGB. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I walked in and said, hey, I'm looking for a doctor, uh, you know, to go under doctor's care. And she started to give me information and then said, uh, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, do you have like appendicitis or whatever? You know, what's your sickness? I said, I'm trans. And the woman who ran the LGB center in Rochester, which was um, this tiny little white house on Atlantic Avenue near Village Gate. Uh, I didn't, it could have been torn down by now, but it was just like right uh, on Atlantic and Goodman, like going down towards where the forum is, but on the other side, maybe two or three houses, it was a tiny little white house there. Mm. And um, she found that out. She said, well, we can't help you. You're not one of us. I don't know what the hell you are, but <laughs> there's nothing I can do for you. Well, how did you feel at that time hearing that she didn't know what the hell you were? I mean, how, how does that make you feel? Well, I, I knew that I had, this is what I was. I knew that I had to keep going. Um, I knew there had to be a way. You just have to find it. You have to like go way out of your comfort zone and deal with a lot of crap to find it. And, you know, eventually I found black market hormones. And of course those would dry up and I'd have to find more. Um, I actually found a doctor who was very famous in uh, uh, U of R, who was a gynecologist. And he would tell me he would write a hormone prescription for me only if once every quarter I would come in and talk to his class because it's a teaching hospital. And that I would go in and I would sit down, right? And all of a sudden all these students would come in and they'd walk right in front of me, stare at me, and go and sit in the respective seats. And then he'd come in and he'd say, this is Tuesday, uh, she's, she's a transvestite. Ask her any questions you want. And I had to be humiliated and sit there and have them. And then I'd have to be like, well, I'm not really a transvestite. I don't do this for sexual release because that's kind of what a transvestite is, but it's under the end. So I had to like, I had to play, you know, I was, I was a singing monkey, you know, you that's say- what- Sorry, on that point, I was just thinking, I mean, not just that part, but also the part where you have to present to affirm, to, to prove, I'm assuming to other people that yes, this is who I am and how I want to live. Would that, would you say that would be on par with the same kind of humiliation? Like, I mean, the fact that you were forced to present yourself in those situations, even if you weren't ready or you didn't want to. It was almost like, it almost sounds like to me, it's like somebody's forcing you to come out in ways that maybe you weren't ready for, or maybe didn't want to do. It was because I would have to, like, I mean, like I said, I would have to go to Syracuse. I would have to drive. At some point I'd have to pee. I'd have to get out of the car. There were people on the throughway at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday driving and they would stop and all of a sudden they do double things because it wasn't just presenting what was very difficult for a lot of people. I. I think to understand is, is you had to present in a hyper feminine patriarchal 
society at the time mode. It wasn't just like, you know, like women come in all shapes and sizes. Some have thin hair, some have a lot of hair, some wear makeup, some don't, some are, are, are thicker than others. You know what I mean? No, Mm -hmm. you had to be like, they wanted to see you as close to supermodel as you could get. You have to be that hyper feminine for them to look at you and go, yeah, you, 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 because it was up to them to decide if you would make a good woman or not. And it was all based on how they thought you looked. So there was that, but also the doctor in um, Syracuse had a different feminine ideal than the doctor at the U of R. They were both hyper feminine, but they were different. So you had to learn those things. So it was very much, you know, I was the circus act. I had to make for these things. I had to perform. I had to, I I had to do what I had to do. Um, There was nothing. I had somebody who I was working, uh, you know, as a a shot girl in a, a bar and it was run by this lesbian woman who had two gay brothers, one of them a drag queen um, mm-hmm. that everybody loved. And uh, just out of the blue one day, I'll never forget this. So I was like getting, you know, the drinks at the bar. And she's standing there and she says, yeah, you did a really good job. I'm glad I hired you. Pause. And I said, thank you. That's really good to hear because I need money. I'm, I mean, I'm going to eat shit. Whatever she says, I'm going to say thank you because I need money. Then she paused for a minute. She goes, you know, you do realize that no matter how many surgeries you have, you'll never be a real woman. Oh. And I just looked at her and said, you uh, know what? That may be true, but I'll be one thing you will never be. And that will be a lady. And I, I left the job. I didn't know. I mean, I needed the money so badly, but that was one of those. I can't deal with it. And it was like, it was, yeah. she's a lesbian with a girlfriend whose two brothers are gay. One's a dry clean and she just is a turf. That was an early turf experience. Yes. Well, to kind of give some perspective on the way things have changed. I mean, you had to dress, dress hyper feminine to get hormones, to get surgeries, to do these things, to get by. And four years ago when I started hormones, I mean, yeah, my, yeah, I was presenting and that just means, you know, for those of you who are listening that aren't aware when people like Tuesday and I are saying presenting, we were presenting as female, even though, you know, at the time, you know, four or five years ago, I was flipping between boy and girl mode, as I would say. But on the day that I started my HRT and got my prescription and got my first round of pills at the pharmacy here at Trillium, I was dressed as a guy. Yeah. Oh, no, that would have been impossible. Impossible. And, and I mean, I, I don't know you that well, um, but I, you know, we're getting to know each other through Facebook. So let me ask um, you, your main attraction is to other females. A lot of your partners are other females. Am I correct in stating that Amy? Yeah, I date women. Okay. You'd never have gotten, if they had found that out, you would never have gotten, because what's the point? Yeah, what's the point? Because you would the- never ever have gotten your hormones if they knew that you slept with women. Never. Because, yeah, because you had to define. And I've read a little bit about this, so it's great. I mean, it's not. I mean, it is good for me to hear your experience, but it's not great. You had to live through this, and you know, you get that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because the point of transitioning in the '80s, especially, was to be a to look and pass as a cisgender woman 
who was going to date guys. And that became the genesis of everything in the 90s, I think, with the Jerry Springer show. And the punchline at the end of the show was, I used to be a dude. Yeah, but you had to, you had to, because to be honest with you, I understand that I had passing privilege, I had white privilege, and I had what's called pretty privilege. Those are three privileges I did have. I still went through absolute hell, but I'm not one of those people who don't, who understand that just because I have those privileges, I don't mean, means it's easy for me. It's less hard than it would be for others. I understand that the ones who didn't pass, uh, it was pretty much a death sentence in, in a lot of ways because you were easily clockable, you were easily picked on and stuff. For me, it was more of, it took them a while to figure it out. A lot of times they figured it out when I told them or somebody else who, you know, wanted to feel special told them, which usually turned into, you know, some gay male uh, who wanted to feel special and be like, I got a secret, look at, yeah, I've said too, and this is another point, I said this today to somebody, my, um, my saviors in life, the ones who uplifted me and supported me were gay men, but also my worst enemies and the ones who put me in the most threat were gay men. The cis people put me in danger, but when the cis people found out about me and when I was, they were either like, get the hell away from me, you freak, or I'll kill you, or, oh yeah, I don't care. You're all right. Yeah. But that, you know, I was lifted up by the gay men, like you're special, you're wonderful. Oh my God, we're going to protect you. You're a national asset to, yeah, fucking bitch. Or they dead name me and, and all the horrible stuff that they put me in danger. I mean, that's why I ended up finally leaving Rochester. I loved Rochester, but all in all, it was the time period. And it was like, I couldn't handle that, that group. I was yeah. like, and, and I had other horrible things happen to me after I left Rochester. So, you know, horrible yeah. things happen to you wherever, but that's one of the impetus for me to be like, I got to get out of here. I love this city. I love being here. I had a car, a nice home. I had good work. I could have gone on forever and retired there and done this, but I just couldn't deal with that emotional thing of people still knowing my history and still still that they I mean I was a, a judge at the uh, Miss Rochester pageant one year and I they were like if you gotta go to the bathroom just say you gotta go to the bathroom you know the host will kill time until you come back and I'm like I gotta go pee and as I'm walking away I hear her say okay somebody follow her into the bathroom and see what's really between her legs I mean there's uh, 300 people there hearing this and laughing I mean how do you think I feel what does it matter right. That's what I mean, the gay men are. Well, and and with that too, I mean, and you, but you have made very publicly that you have gotten your surgery, that you, you know, you're 60 years old now, but your vagina's how old? 40. 40. (laughs) But I mean, that's still 40. It's early three, so don't look at them, you pedophiles. (laughs) (laughs) She grabs her tits. Love it. They're young ones. They're young ones. But what was that you know hormones was hard enough but then to get the surgery on top of that i mean who did you have to kill where are the bodies buried (laughs) it just was you know you you just 
you just plug on, you just plug on and you just go and you find ways and you do what you got to do. And then people don't believe you and they want to still give you hell and grief and, and whatever. And they still are like jealous of you. And they still, I mean, I went from, uh, you know, doing like shows, showgirls, you know, at some of the bars and doing quite well and making decent tips and to like one day all of a sudden like no you can't perform anymore well why did i become less talented was all my talent in my penis <laughs> you know what is the point of that why can't i do the same thing i did yeah. ago? <laughs> well that's that was actually that's kind of leading up to a question i had so you felt emotionally you had to i get this feeling too like not, obviously not on the same level but i'm relating to the fact of it's it it's nice to start over. So is that when you decided to move? Yeah, it kind of was like a situation where I just couldn't take it anymore. And some things had come to an end and there was a couple opportunities that presented itself and I laughed. And I, 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 I mean, I don't have regrets in life. Everything I've Mm -hmm. done has led up to making me the person that I am. And I like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that, but at that time, I don't, know if there was anything else that kind of if those if the stuff that hadn't come to an end and the new stuff that presented itself elsewhere if that whole feeling of like i can't stand being the freak anymore i can't stand being looked at that way i can't stand being the fetish or you know somebody coming up to me going oh so and so told me your real name is you know that kind of bullshit I don't, if any of that wasn't happening, I probably would have stayed. I would have been like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. But that was your just real like, name Monday. Yeah. I was born on Thursday. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that to people when they ask me like, how'd you get the name Tuesday? I say I was born on Thursday. And then it gives me so much of a chance to walk away. Cause they're like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Wait, wait, you I'm already long gone by that. <laughs> Well, talking about history real quick, and then we'll wrap up this segment. I mean, but you're from an area outside of Rochester. You're not from Rochester. So when you were growing as a young, up, as a, I, I actually like went, uh, uh, I grew up in a very, very small town. You know, I was a 315er. <laughs> you know, okay. I think you're the second or third 315er on our podcast. The, the fucking horse and buggies, okay? <laughs> how did we kick off Queer AF with a 315er from LA? How do I mean, how do we make that happen? Serendipity. I was I was a 315er and it was hell. I mean, in the documentary in my life. Once a 315er, always a 315er. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. Hush, girl, don't make me hate you when I meet you. That's right. <laughs> push back, push back. Um, I mean, you know, that was rough in and of itself because, you know, well, at 62, I was born and growing up at that time in that area. Um, and nobody has, the only one we had ever heard of was Christine Jorgensen and uh, a freak. And you didn't see that much on TV or anything of anybody. And, you know, you didn't hear. I remember when, um, when Watkins Glen happened, you know, after Woodstock and, you know, my mom and dad seeing the kids coming through as they're hitchhiking through Penyana on the way to Watkins Glen going, it's the damn hippie, commie, pinko freaks. It was like Archie, they listening to Archie Bunker, you know? <laughs> and you're, I'm just in frog going, 
is that a boy or a girl? I don't care. I want to be one. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they are, I want to be it. (laughs) And so, I mean, there was that growing up, but then, you know, I left um, at very early age and ran away and went to uh, San Francisco. And I was in San Francisco in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. I was watching when they called it grid. You know, people, I was watching friends one day looking good and then two weeks later looking like a corpse. Right. You know, they called it the gay cancer first, then they called it grid, and then they called it AIDS. And, you know, we didn't know. And I moved back to Rochester and, you know, started the transition and going out underage and things like that. And yeah. And then, you know, having to navigate that through the AIDS epidemic as well, because all my friends, you know, because I would go down to New York City a lot as well to get, you know, work done and uh, hormones and things and new girls down there and was part of the continental pageantry system, even though I was always a third runner up, never a winner. But, you know, that's what that's the only way you made your money. Yeah, it's the only way we could make money that and sex work. And I just. I mean, later and later, I was forced into sex work. Um, I don't find anything wrong with sex work if you're into it, but we are forced into it, whether we want to or not. And I did not work for me, caused me a lot of mental issues that I still deal with. Um, But it was the only way to make money. Um, So yeah, I mean, and then the AIDS epidemic where they wouldn't, doctors, you know, wouldn't help you, period, let alone if you were very sick. I mean, I had friends who died of, you know, going to the ER because they ended up having appendicitis and the doctor's like, what the fuck are you? Get out. And they'd go home and their appendix would blow up and they'd die. I mean, they'd die. We would die. That's why median age for transsexuals are only 35 years. Transgenders are only 35 years. Somehow I'm lucky enough to make it. I'm going to entertain the masses. I've got my TikTok to have the kids ask me any questions about my journey to help them navigate. Uh, it's called Ask Tranma. And I, uh, I wanna help, I wanna give back. That's, that's the book and the documentary and just seeing people laugh. I think yeah. I reach a lot of people who are not just trans. I mean, my black, white, uh, uh, Asian, I mean, my base is very, very broad because I think when people hear what I went through and how I can make jokes about it, they're like, they can input well, she's talking about having her penis surgically inverted into a vagina and being allergic <laughs> to morphine and not have all basically taken aspirin. I think I can get through anything. <laughs> well, Tuesday, that's a good moment to pause this first part because we do want to talk to you in the next segment about, okay, no pun intended, transition into entertainment in the in LA and mm-hmm. um, how how that evolved over time. So um, we will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Transformation Transformation Thursday. Hold on, wrong wrong fucking podcast, people. Reset. Reset, but that'll still be left in for editing purposes. (laughs) Welcome back to the Queer AF Comedy Podcast. My name is Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And this is Sarah Cannon. My pronouns are still she, her, and we are back with our guest today, Tuesday Thomas. And Tuesday, (laughs) yes, hey, hey yourself. Uh, Yeah, we wanted to pick up with your entertaining self. And uh, we heard that one of your favorite idols in entertainment is Richard Pryor. 
I wonder if you could share with us and our listeners why that is and what was so special about Richard. So unapologetic about everything. And I think a lot of people describe me that way too. Um, they, they, they say I'm fearless on the stage. I don't care. I don't, as the kids say, I D G A F I have earned the D G A F I, you know, it's going to tell me anything. Otherwise <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you. And I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. And Richard Pryor was that way. But I remember growing up as a kid and seeing his evolution, um, on things like, you know, the uh, Ed Sullivan show, the I mean, and the wonderful shows that I just embody as a human being, just I'm like my own Flip Wilson, Sonny and Cher, Tony Orlando and Dawn Variety Hour. Yeah. You know? And he would, he would go on all those. Um, he was one of my favorites. And I was fortunate enough to know his daughter, Rain, who was on head of the class and stuff. She's a friend of mine. She's in Baltimore now. And um, just as fearless, just as unapologetic, just as like real mm. as her dad is. And uh, yeah. Well, Richard was also very unapologetic about dating trans women as well, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did. He just was like, it d- didn't work for me, but I did. Yeah. He did hmm. it. I mean, Rain tells a story about how she was just like, she didn't really know that that was, that this woman was trans until later on when somebody told her, but she's like, oh, I just want to, could be my new mom, could be <laughs> whoever, <laughs> one of daddy's girls. She's very nice. She always said she's so super, super sweet. Well, how did, you know, we talked in the last segment about, you know, you, we ended with you, you know, working in in sex work a little bit, but, and how that was traumatic, but how do you take that sex work and that trauma and move into comedy and entertainment? Cause that's, that's I actually went from that to like, I moved, I got away and I went and I actually got married. Um, so I thought I wanted the white picket fence and everything like that, which is, does not exist. I don't care. There's no Prince Charming. There's none of that absolute horse shit. That's why I hate Disney so much. They fuck so many people over in their minds. I but agree. Anyway, um, so I got married and he uh, turned into a, quite a sociopath, narcissistic sociopath. And their 10 years of my life is completely gone. I, uh, you know, I was working at that point um, in regular jobs. You know, I was working in Vegas at uh, uh, casinos, uh, bartending. And I remember also the other thing about the trans community in and of itself, because it's they pit us against each other. And there's no there's no help for any of us outside of ourselves. It creates this environment where we compete with each other and we want what the other one has. We don't know how to get it on our own. So we're going to get it. We're going to steal from them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Okay. Because there's so few opportunities available to you. You have to fight over the ones that are there. Right. So I would befriend trans women and then they'd find out I'm working decent jobs in cis places and um, they would come and they'd be like, out me. <laughs> I mean, fired. <laughs> you know. So I had to really, wow. really, really go away. And my husband was ended up being a narcissistic sociopath and uh, did a lot of harm to me. And actually, at one point, uh, put a contract out on my life that I didn't find out about until a few years ago, well after it was all said and done. Um, and I went about a decade of moving from city to city to city, being uh, stalked by him. 
and being oh working at these places where they were like, oh, I love you. You're wonderful to all of a sudden coming in one day going, we had a disturbing phone call about you. I think you should go. Because wow. here's the thing. If you're trans, they don't want you to work there. But if you pass and then they love you and everything, you can't tell them that you're trans because then you're a liar and how can you be trusted? Wow. You're going to steal from them. You're going to steal out of the, you know, whatever it is, the till, whatever. You're not to be trusted because you did not tell them that. But if you had told them that, you wouldn't be hired. You can't win. You cannot freaking win. So I just got, so, and then I got really sick. I um, got hepatitis uh, C from him. I almost died a few times from that. I think, thank goodness I got on a trial run when I was in San Francisco of a new pill that cured everything. And my viral load for the last 10 years has been zero. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I just was like, I had a breakdown. I had a complete breakdown where everything in my whole life that had ever happened to me that I had pushed deep down inside of me because you can't let it out. You can't because it's, a, it, it's you know, if people, you know, see that you're weak, they're going to prey on you. And that and somebody like me is the last thing I need to show is weakness or I would have been a goner. So everything that ever happened to me, I had nobody to cry to, nobody to tell these horrible stories, nothing. All of a sudden it all came out. I had a huge breakdown. And at the same time, ended up in ICU in San Francisco because of the hepatitis C. And I just decided, you know what? I made it through this. I made it through that. I made it through everything else. I just want people to laugh. <laughs> I want to make people happy. I realize that's what I'm put on this earth for, is to make other people forget about their shit by sharing mine. And I started doing it. I started, uh, and fairly quickly I was accepted into the community in San Francisco and I was doing at the Purple Onion and other major clubs the punchline I had a show monthly at the punchline that sold out uh, I would do cobs uh, but then it just got to where I started working in LA like one week a month and then three weeks in San Francisco and then it slipped mm. so I'm like why don't I just move down here <laughs> that seems the obvious choice and same thing you know I mean, I regularly perform at the Laugh Factory. I get some shows at the uh, Improvs. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, wore, I that's how I made my living. I have the show Freak Show, which I turned into a 501c3 charity during the pandemic. It's awesome. a variety show, which includes characters, music, a sideshow acts, burlesque, drag kings, queens, stand up, but all funny, but all on the really dark, strange, funny side. Okay. And my partner because we were in 16 cities and twice a week in Vegas. And my partner decided he didn't want to do it anymore during COVID. I got a new partner. I kind of like started my documentary. I had a lot of things going on. Uh, uh, tried to keep myself busy. Uh, the groundlings, I gave me a scholarship and then they gave me what's called the SNL scholarship. So for two years, I've been studying under them and they're going to send an audition tape to SNL for me. Um, that's the best letter of recommendation you can get. Doesn't mean I'll get the job, but you can't get a better letter of recommendation than that. But I also turned Freak Show into 501c3, and I got the U.S. government to recognize us as a religion. We worship laughter. <laughs> no lie. We are an organized, re recognized religion that worships laughter. That's it took awesome. Scientology, 35 years. It took me a pandemic. <laughs> 
and you're selling something credible. <laughs> right. Exactly. Laughter <laughs> heals. Well, and you've been also on a lot of TV shows and you've been very public about surgeries that you're on um, botched, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that how was a it great experience. That was an amazing experience. See, I, I had already had most of my surgeries corrected, um, but they wanted my story. They just yeah. loved the story. So I told them my story and um, there was nothing they could do for me at that point. There was no surgeries that they gave me. I mean, they paid me for the story, but um, yeah, it was a great experience because that show, they keep in close contact with you. They let you know that it's good. Like mine, it took almost a year after I filmed for it to air and you get a lot of anxiety and PTSD. Like, what's everybody going to think? A lot of people don't know these things, blah, blah, blah. But I was registered with a counselor that I could call any time before it aired and up to six months after it aired. It was, a, 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 you know, a, a, a psychologist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they were just very like, okay, well, the day got pushed back. Are you okay? You want to talk about, you know what I mean? It was like, because it's really a lot. Yeah. Wish, yeah, I wish they would have done that before my um, surgery last year because it got delayed four times. The surgery yeah, did? Yeah, my bottom surgery did mm -hmm. last year. So, I mean, people don't realize like when you're expecting things like this, big things in your events and big events in your life, when they get delayed, it takes a psychological toll. It does. It does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it came out, I didn't even watch it. I told everybody it's there, it's going to be on. And then I got all these calls going, oh my God, you're wonderful. I didn't know this. I think you did great, blah, blah, blah. And then I was able to watch it afterwards. Well, Tuesday, we think you're great. And oh, we're very happy that you've come on the show. And uh, I didn't know if anyone got, had any other questions. I got one more question though. Yes. Tuesday, what would you give advice to maybe... Two stand-up lesbian comics, one may or may not be trans, who live in, let's say, Western New York and <laughs> are trying to get this queer AF comedy brand off the ground. What would what would be your advice to maybe two people? Oh, like just that? keep doing it. Just keep doing it. But just, just learn about um the different avenues to um uh what's the word I want to share it on. I mean, make sure it gets out there everywhere you can. Um, you can uh, link uh, iTunes with Spotify, with all these other things too. Um, just, it's all about promotion. It's all about having your own page and promoting it and just, uh, you know what I mean? Yep. You just got to get it out there and it's a lot of work. But if you believe in your uh, product and you have a good product and so you should believe in it. And if you do, it's going to go. You know, it's, but it's all, it's show business. <laughs> and, and, and that's what a lot of people outside, you know, like, I mean, and yeah, I mean, technically Sarah and I are in show business because we do comedy. We're doing this podcast. It is a fucking grind. It's it show business. Is. If you don't take care of the business part, eventually there'll be no show part. And, and I the business learned that was early on where. I, you know, I have to find a happy medium because I'm not at a point where I can hire somebody to handle the business part. Eventually, I know I will be there. But mm -hmm. at this point, I'm not. I mean, I have a management company that helps me with a lot of things. And my manager, um, 
it's a Bohemia Talent, a, a Bohemia Management Group, and there are offices in uh, LA, New York, Tokyo, Paris, uh, London. And she, the owner, decided that she loved me and I'm her client. I, she's not giving me to any of the other managers. And she was the original, she was friend of the rock group Slayer. And she's, they weren't getting any bookings. And she's like, let me see what I can do for you. And she just said, a nobody, just a friend. And she started talking to all the, you know, the, the, the you know, the rainbow room and, you know, all these yeah. LA clubs and the troubadour and she got them booked and got good money for them. And she realized, Hey, I could do this management thing. And she was the original manager. Oh, oh wow. wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing lady, amazing lady. All tattooed up sits there with her legs spread wide open, smoking these big old cigars, <laughs> shoots these guns. We have a gun day every year, Bohemian group, because, you know, we have to, you know, they give us, they send us out for roles on NCIS or whatever. The, the major shows all, you have to know how to use guns. So she does things like teaches us, we shoot real guns, which I hate. But yeah, isn't it gun day yeah, every day in America? Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, sorry. I was like downing the. I, oh. I totally brought it but down. At least if I know how to handle <laughs> a real gun, I'll know how to handle a fake one. I won't pull it, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin thing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, Tuesday. Make sure when when are you going to be in Rochester? What what date are you actually going to be? I'm Monday to- at midnight. So I'm like probably won't be up and around until like around noon on Tuesday, the day before. Well, the maybe show, maybe so. you, maybe we can get together then on you know, that Wednesday, you know, before the show, because I'm, because I'm taking off that Thursday after the show for my Memorial Day weekend trip, mm-hmm. but, you know, love to catch up with you outside of the show before yeah, I go be nice. into, before I go into producer mode during the show, because yeah. then I just go, ah! yeah, <laughs> I know how it is. I know how it is. Yeah. Sarah, you're going to have to be at the show this time because I'm going to need you to run the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to no. talk offline about that. <laughs> Oh yeah, she welcomes that's, me. That's to, like, oh, I'm she welcomes me to her it. podcast, and then says, "I don't give a fuck if I watch this girl's comedy or not. I don't care." Yeah. You got to work that night, don't you? Don't you? No, I was supposed. To, well, we'll talk later. I I am going out of town, but I probably can finagle it a day, so I probably can go. All right, that'd be uh, great. Yeah, you at, at eleven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> you like how I put her on the spot like that so anyway I know it's so oh. funny it's like I went to this uh, I, I you know because I filmed my own special and um I was running the hour for it and uh somebody let me do an open mic that was out in a, a yard and he had a couple people coming to open up you know uh, warm it up as he said which I was like whatever I don't need that I just want to run the hour but one of the guys was like oh my god I love Tuesday so much she's so funny I, I can't wait to see her oh my god you guys are gonna just love her so much and the minute he got through this set I, he walked down the street and laughed <laughs> I was like, oh my god yep warmed him up and just took off yeah so that's kind of what it is Sarah's yeah. like Sarah's like yeah it was nice talking to you I'll never see you again bye <laughs> No, I hope not. I hope we see lots more of you yeah. because yeah, we're we really, we're genuinely, Amy and I are really thrilled that you are here for our, is this our first episode? For Queer AF, yeah. For Queer AF Comedy. This is really exciting. So Yay. please, we would like to have you back as a recurring guest. We can Anytime, anytime. Just let me know. All right. Well, 25th, everybody, seven o'clock, Urban yep. Euphoria. 
Yep, Urban Euphoria. So for Tuesday Thomas and my co-host Sarah Cannon, my name's Amy Stevens, and we will see you next time here on Queer AF Comedy, which is a production of the Transformation Thursday Podcast Network. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.